Buglers, we are live from Leicester Square Theatre on the 16th of September with Chris Addison and Alice Fraser. It might be our only London date of the year, so get your tickets now. Oh, get them at thebuglepodcast.com. That, that bit's important. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project... There's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. This is a podcast from The Bugle. Hello and welcome to Catharsis. I'm Tiff Stevenson, full-time comedian, part-time massively unqualified therapist for this podcast only. Each week I talk to a guest about small things that irritate them, pet peeves, but also huge old grudges. We also dive into a topical gripe and a historical beef to see if we can provide some insight, but mainly some catharsis. You can sweat the small stuff with me. This week, I am joined by one of my favourite comedians, activist, author, all-round bloody legend, Mark Thomas. Hello. <laughs> Hello, hi. And I just want to, before we get into my guests' peeves, I like to just have a quick moan myself. And this week, it's the algorithm. I don't want to know what my Instagram audience breakdown is. 35% recently divorced dad, by the way. Uh, yeah, here I am. I am. I am having to dive into algorithms and audiences if I want people to come to the tour shows because that's the way the tours sell now. It is really through the social media and people seeing your videos. But the algorithm, I just feel, is constantly hungry. I'm like, have I fed the algorithm today? Do you have to pop a boob out to feed the algorithm? Are you attachment parenting the algorithm by letting it sleep in the bed with you tonight? Why have kids when you can algorithm? The algorithm is just dominating like comedians' lives now. And the problem is on Twitter, the algorithm rewards black and white statements that garner maximum outrage. And I'm just tired and I like nuance. (laughs) So, you know, what I'll see doing well on Twitter is like an OnlyFans model who tweets something like kill all men and it will get about a million views, um, which is the equivalent of a child having a tantrum. And for that, the algorithm shouldn't be rewarded. But yet here we are. So I am. Yeah, I'm thinking about the algorithm. Can I step away from the algorithm? Can I leave the algorithm? What would happen if I don't algorithm? So You're a slave to the algorithm. Yes, slave <laughs> to you the are. algorithm. We That's all are. We all I, are. I'm not. I don't. I don't care. I don't. I don't give a monkey's. I don't really have. Uh, I don't put clips out. I don't do anything like that. I don't do telly things. I've done it for 37 years, so people can come along or not. I can't give a fuck. <laughs> Yeah, I think you I think you garnered your audience before all of that, I guess. 
Um, Because now it's interesting. That's what I should describe myself as, pre-algorithm comedian. Yes, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, the first section of the podcast we call uh, Old Grudge. So that is something that's happened in the past or a situation that you felt like you could either have handled better or you just want to have a complaint about or uh, it's still somewhere like we're going to attempt to heal it. Uh, so just by allowing you to air it here, your old grudge. Okay, I've got loads, you know, I've been a performer for 37 years. That's meant I've spent an inordinate amount of time in green rooms and dressing rooms. I have grudges. Do you know, I have loads and loads of grudges. But I, I think, I was trying to think of some of the ones that really, um, that still hung around, because some of them I've let go in a surprising act of maturity. <laughs> but... Um, I, I I remember once I took what happened was I uh, when the kids grown up I used to just sort of I try to be kind of like as positive as possible about they go oh can we do this and I go yeah all right I'd always try and say yes to any request so we were watching Michaela Strachan one day in Gibraltar with some dolphins and um and my son said oh can we go and I said yeah and. Suddenly, I go. You've said we're going to Gibraltar. <laughs> yeah, no, I ought to go. So we went to Gibraltar, and um, the dolphins were the highlight. I have to tell you, the dolphins were amazing. We went on a catamaran, right? Me, kids, my son was was very young. I think he was eight, and he had a harness and a life thingy on, and he was strapped to a wire at the front of the catamaran, which was one of those wires, and literally had his feet dangling over between the holes as it sped along. And and it was perfectly magical. The dolphins were between the bloody holes, so they were shooting out under his feet. Under his feet, right, that's cool. It was magic, and it was properly amazing. It genuinely was amazing. The hour and a half that we spent out on the water was genuinely amazing. Gibraltar is a shithole. <laughs> it is a massive, massive shithole. And the Spanish are laughing at us. They are laughing at us because we make such a fuss over keeping it. And actually, it's bollocks. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a double bluff. We want it back. No, you can't have it. <laughs> they still want to keep it. <laughs> it's an awful place. And it's also full of tax dodgers. I've never been to Gibraltar. Is it bad vibes in terms of the people? Is it the culture or the lack thereof? I mean, partly it's it's the very situation, the stupidity of having a lump of rock that is literally attached to Spain and calling it ours is <laughs> mind-bogglingly stupid. Then the fact that we're running sort of like tax breaks and all these people going, we want to be British. And I'm like, fine, you can be British, but pay British tax. You know, pay your tax, right? So that's gripe number one. Gripe number two is it's just full of duty-free shops. Right? It's duty-free <laughs> shops and yoldy pubs. And it's like, you, you're you not a yoldy pub. You haven't even got a quiz <laughs> machine, right, which would define you as a yoldy pub, right? And then, um, obviously, you've got things like there's a couple of beaches and there's the monkeys, at the top of the at the top of the rock, right? You know the famous monkeys, and um, 
I remember getting there the first day, and I'm I'm one of these people who, who when they're on a holiday, goes, right, let's go, let's go, let's go. Come on, there's the ruins of a church over here. I found a stone circle, or it might not be. Come on, everyone. I found a farmyard zoo uh, that specialises in Shetland ponies or whatever. So you're not getting your towel down by the pool at like 5am like some people are on holiday? No, I'm not. Everyone needs to come and do things. Everyone needs to do stuff now. And And sometimes that's really good. Do you know what I mean? It has its positives because we do end up doing stuff that's really interesting. Other times, I admit, it's quite annoying. <laughs> I, admit, <laughs> I admit when people just want to go, it's time to sit by the pool with a small drinky. <laughs> <laughs> You're there going, let's get to the top of the rock and see the monkeys. Yeah, well, I, so we get to we get to um, Gibraltar and, and the airport is fantastic because it's like it's on the strip that attaches itself to so it's like you fly in and you're basically if you overshoot you're in the water do you know what I mean <laughs> it's one of these, and part of me looks at it going of course this is a joke it's like some weird log flume do you know what I mean <laughs> Airport, that's what it is so I get there and uh we, we check into this hotel which is all right and um I say come on let's go and try and get up to the top of the the thing and there's a big there's the mountain the rock mountain with the monkeys on it and we're walking down the street and this taxi driver um, says, are you going to the top? And I said, yeah. And he said, uh, I'll take you up there. He said, because the cable car's shut now. You won't be able to get up there. He said, but I'll do it. I'll take you up, see the monkeys, uh, and then bring you down for this fair. And the kids were sort of looking at me. And I thought, well, it's me who said, come on, everyone, now, 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 now. And I haven't checked the times of the cable car. So we jump in to the cab. We drive to the top. And I find the cable car is, in fact, working. And he has charged us an extortionate amount of money. And the monkeys, to be honest, look diseased. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? They, they, they just basically, it's kind of like, what kind of monkey is it? I don't know. It's a kind of rhesus herpes. Do you know what I mean? You sort of look at it and you think, this is a terrible thing. It's, and, um, it's a hepatitis monkey. Yeah. And I'm like, don't let the kids touch them. Please don't let the kids, don't let the monkey touch the kids. And this bloke, obviously, is just like, oh, yeah, yeah, you've seen the monkey, back in the cab, come on, I'll take you out. you got to hurry up or the road shuts. And, of course, the road doesn't shut. He just wants to get in the pub. <laughs> I love the fact that you've got to the top and it's like the monkeys almost like that have been hot, like, are not for it, like smoking a couple of fags going, oh, here we go, fucking hell. Come on, so show smoke, get your ass out. Here we go. Oi, come on. Quickly, show me your ass. <laughs> Oi, pickles. Get a fucking lob on. Come on. <laughs> so that's what happens, right? And um and I've I've just gone to bed thinking he's he's done us, he's he's conned us. We've been conned. I don't want to I, this is I've been taken advantage of. And um the next day I see him at the top of the thing, and I start to walk over to the fair that he's doing with to say, um, you know, this bloke has actually this bloke is a ripoff. Don't give him any money. Pay him half of what he said. Da 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 da. And my wife just put her arm out and just went, "I know what you're going to do. Don't do it. Let it go. Walk away." <laughs> She's right. She's probably right. When you're on a rock, you don't want to get you don't want to get into a fight with someone and get thrown in in prison on a rock. <laughs> but I get I get I mean I get sort of like more and more confrontational as I get older. Right. I really uh, it's terrible. It's genuinely terrible. 
I went to see a Jackie Chan triple bill at the Prince Charles Cinema in London, which is one of the greatest cinemas ever. Jackie Chan Police Story 1, 2, and 3. It is absolute heaven, right? And I have to tell you, if you've not seen those movies, go and see them because Jackie Chan is like the Kung Fu Buster Keaton. He is just utterly incredible. And um, those movies are amongst his best. And um, halfway through number movie number two, because all they're all shown back to back, Right. And, you know, and what's great is people are really enjoying it. People are cheering and shouting. And in the early ones he did, um, he used to they used to have this kind of thing which they did in Hong Kong movies and which they still do in sort of like Thai martial art movies, which is they show the stunt three times. If it's a really good stunt, they'll show it. So you go, whoa. And then you go, wait. And then the third one, you go, yeah. <laughs> and, it's just, and it's basically the film's way of going, look how great this is. And people are cheering and shouting in the cinema and clapping and laughing. It's the rule of three, Mark. We know about oh, the rule of three. You, it is the rule of three. You know, it's the classic storytelling. You have a beginning, a middle, and the wrong ending. That's how it works. <laughs> and what happens is is this bloke next to me gets his phone out, is looking on his phone. And I've I've just leant over and just went, turn your phone off, mate. And he said, stick it up your ass. And I said, what a fuck did you say? <laughs> and he said, you heard me. I said, you're a fucking c- mate, right? And then I sat back in my seat. <laughs> and then my partner's going, what, what, what was that about? I said, he's turned his fucking phone on, he's being the c- <laughs> just enjoy the movie. I said, no, just enjoy the movie. Now you're ruining her enjoyment of the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you're not going to let this go. No, I won't let it go. I won't let it go. So when the film ends, I say, the lights go up and I say, I'm going to fucking say something. And it's two, he's sitting two seats. Do you know, he's next yeah. to me, bar one. I'm going to say something because he's a fucking I've fucking had enough of the shitty fucking behaviour. And this bloke just went, I just wanted to say I'm really, really sorry. I just have a really bad reaction when people touch me. It's just part of my syndrome. And I'm very sorry for turning the phone on. I'm very sorry for my uh, words. And I hope you accept my apology and enjoy the rest of your evening. And left. Oh, how was that happen out? What's interesting is to unpack and we are going to come back to the first old grudge before this, but it's to unpack how you felt when that happened, because I imagine you got yourself so amped up for a row. And then when someone totally disarms you and says, I didn't mean that, like, what was that like in the moment? Were you like, were you disappointed you can have the row? Were you, or were you like spun out by it? This is what I thought. Vindicated! <laughs> So the bit you took from that was the bit where he said, I shouldn't have switched my phone on. (laughs) And I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I actually, I did actually say, I accept your apology. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that is very mature. That yeah, is it very, is. Very it is very mature, and I'm, I'm a. Uh, but those things, those are the things that you. Because I, I got on a train recently, and I was going up to Oxford to see an old, old mate of mine, and I was sitting with my computer on. And I was trying to do a bit of work, and people were on the phone. It was, it was Marylebone to Tame, so all these city people are getting on. And so, yeah, no, just sign the contracts. Will you just sign the contracts? And all this kind of stuff <laughs> going on. And I was so pissed off. My mate, Ollie Double, who is a lecturer, his professor, Ollie Double, who teaches uh, comedy at uh, Kent University or University of Kent. And he had sent me some links 
of an old musical performer singing Why Am I Always the Bridesmaid? And I just thought, fuck it, and just press play on it. Turned it up really loudly. In the middle of this track, Why am I always the bridesmaid? Never the blushing bride. Just blaring out, and this bloke just goes, I- I- I'm really sorry, I-, I wonder if you could just turn it out. I said, no, I won't turn it down, because you lot are all on the phone. You're all making bloody business calls, and you're disturbing everyone else. Turn your fucking phones off. And then I turned down the, the thingy, right? And then this bloke said, actually, I wasn't making a phone call. I said, I don't give a fuck, mate. He goes, no, I was. It was a personal call, actually, I was making. And I was trying to be as quiet as possible. And guess what I said next? <laughs> oh, um, now I'm thinking, no, you're going to don't make any fucking phone calls. We're at Marylebone Station. This train hasn't left the station. And I am genuinely embarrassed about this. But I said, do you want to get outside for a fight? <gasps> Mark! <laughs> oh, my God. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> you talked, and this is off stage, but you talked about being able to get your bus pass soon. Are you just going to use it to get on buses <laughs> offer people out? And trains. Mark Thomas just going around the UK terrorizing people. <laughs> and I, I felt embarrassed as soon as I'd done it. Yeah. Well, I like the fact that you had a sense of shame afterwards to kind of go. My mouth had written a check. I couldn't. <laughs> And it's quite a big blow. Straight to 100. No stop between 1 to 99. Mark's just gone, no, let's have outside. Yeah, and outside over an old musical song. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, well, to come back, to tie this in a, a lovely bow at the, at the, at the end, we're going to have fun. We've, still, we've, we've, we've not even got into, like, pet peeves yet or, um, or topical gripes. But, uh, yeah, um, to, to come back to your original Gibraltar story, I like that the idea of your, your, your old grudge being against an old rock uh, <laughs> but um, but I, I think we can I think we can sort of narrow it down. I think we can distill it down a bit to this tour guide, who's kind of taken advantage of you. The the place as a whole, but the tour guide. I accept that, except for the fact that I still envisage myself standing as an older man staring at that rock, going, "I'll fucking beat you." Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Gibraltar, if you're listening, and by that not the people of Gibraltar, but the inanimate piece of rock prehistoric rock mark thomas wants to fight you (laughs) (laughs) he will get you outside i hope you feel better for getting that off your chest i mean this is this is i do feel better he's the tour guide but i've still not forgiven him yeah not forgiven him and not forgiven gibraltar as a place so politically there's reasons not to forgive yes yes but the tour guide because i was taken advantage of and I was being nice because I was with my family and all sort of, come on, let's go and experience the world. And then the dolphins were amazing. Good on the dolphins. The dolphins we're, we're happy with. But, you know, they're swimming around Gibraltar. Maybe they think Gibraltar's an arsehole as well. Well, they're sw- to be honest, they were swimming away from it. <laughs> Take your cue from the dolphins. Uh, they were different. <laughs> <laughs> It's a relic of imperialism. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The next section of the podcast is is called Topical Cream, and that's where we apply some balm to a stingy news story that's got your head up. It doesn't have to be this week; it could be in the last six months. Just something in the zeitgeist. I'm sure you've, I'm sure you've got something that you're angry about. So, so what's what's getting under what your skin? What do you want? What do you want? It's all shit. Yep. Do you Fair. know what I mean? It's got. I mean, it's just the fact that we've had three prime ministers in eight weeks. That got my, do you know what I mean? From Johnson to Truss to Sunak. It was just like, whoa, whoa. it's just bananas. This is circus town. Like jury service, right? Everyone gets to go. Oh, eventually. wouldn't it be brilliant if that was true? <laughs> Everyone's yeah. got to go. Is it another Etonian? Oh, how did that happen? So the whole <laughs> thing, I think, and I think what gets me most, I mean, is the fact that the, the Tories just want to use racism and you know, stoke the fires of race guys. It's Pakistani rape gangs. It's like, hang on a minute. 84% of grooming gangs in the UK are white. This is from a home office report, their own report. So when you say we will stop Pakistani rape gangs, Pakistani grooming gangs, um, you know, there's several things that you're doing. One is you're just stoking up the fires of racism and just going, you know, it's them what are doing it. They come over here taking our women. That's what this is. But actually what you're doing as well is you're ignoring the 84% of the young girls and young women who have been abused and you're leaving them aside for some cheap political point. How about we tackle all the grooming? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's the, you know, it, how about the police aren't you know just like why don't we do that just for starters you know the police's job is it the metropolitan police especially their job is to is to basically uphold the law that's what it is to enforce the law and so actually they could stay inside and do nothing and the legal situation would have improved yeah do you know what i mean so it's like that gets those are the things that really get me politically. Trump getting um, arrested is just funny. But then you get people going, oh, no, but it's going to turn him into a martyr. Yeah. But, you know, if you have a rule of law, you have a rule of law. You know, that's how it works. So the rotation of prime ministers, I think, is a. Um... Last time I saw you, I said this. I think I mentioned the fact on stage that since 1979, we have only ever had one elected British prime minister be thrown out of office by the general public, and that was John Major, right? Right. Now, choosing a prime minister and choosing a government is important. Then being able to get rid of them is equally important. So actually what they're saying is we know better. 
Yes. Yeah. And what's interesting about that is that I think Boris will be beginning his comeback tour to office that we're going to be on a rinse and repeat. You know, we've got sort of Trump pitching for 2024 and we've got Boris who is going to be slowly attempting to get back in. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's going to be so slowly. I mean, I think the thing about Johnson is he isn't he he. He is a sociopath, and I think he's got just enough knowledge to know that he is. Yes. Right? And when he was in that committee meeting over the, the privileges thing, which was fantastic just to see his lawyer's reaction behind him, where they just sat there just going, oh, f- <laughs> you know. But what was interesting was they asked him a question, and he just said, but you could hear, you could almost hear the voices inside and going, shut up, be nice, try and be bloody nice, don't kill them. (laughs) Well, don't show them who you really are. Yes. Which is incredibly entitled and narcissistic that go all the way back to his school reports where they were like, he doesn't seem to like to be told that he's got something wrong. Yeah. Or that he hasn't completed a task and he seems to be affronted that anyone would meet him with criticism. And I think that that's the most kind of damning thing I've seen about Johnson that that and it might have been led by donkeys put out a video that that's, that takes him all the way through Bullingdon but it was it's a school report where it says when he's criticized he's affronted by a how dare you you know I'm going to be king of the world so you don't get to criticize me my friend Martin Rosen who's the cartoonist um he was cartoonist for the spectator at one point he used to do culture, he used to do the cover for the spectator and you need when you do a, a and this he told me this story he said um Johnson used to be editor of the spectator and he wanted to do the cartoon but to get it right you need to know what he's going to lead on you need to know what's going to come up as the headlines da, 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 so you can put all the bits in the right space and get the cartoon to actually fit the space it needs to fit and um, Johnson still wasn't making his mind up, going undecided, undecided. And like he was running out of time to be able to do this. Literally, the deadline was just moving in front of him. And Martin had enough and phoned up Johnson. And he said, right, have you made your mind up? He said, there's so many considerations. No, no, no. And Martin just went, stop this PG Woodhouse act shit and choose one. And he said there was a silence. And then Johnson said, this P.G. Woodhouse shit, as you called it, has served me very well thus far. Wow. An acknowledgement of it. Yeah. That it's all an act. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. The Bertie Wooster, I'm I'm presuming he means by that, that kind of blustery... And like P.G. Woodhouse as well, he sort of flirts with fascism. Right. P.G. Woodhouse famously recorded stuff. I think it was on um, Jersey. He recorded stuff for the Nazis. Or might have been Paris, I can't remember. But I didn't know that. Right. He did record broadcasts for the Nazis. I mean, he was forced to. I mean, you know, I mean, he could have died a martyr's death. We would have respected that. But... We would we wouldn't have taken him on uh, on holiday to Gibraltar. I would. I would have said, "PG, lead the charge. Get a taxi." By the way, the monkeys are friendly. <laughs> this section of the podcast we like to call unpopular opinion. That's something that you love that everyone else hates, or vice versa. Hit me. Here's an unpopular opinion I have: Just stop oil are good. 
Right. Oh, okay. Do people think they're bad then? Or are people upset at their practices? Uh, I think they're upset by the fact that what they do is they go and just go, you're not moving fast enough, everyone, which we're not. Uh, and therefore, we're going to go and do stuff like throw soup over Van Gogh paintings and all that. Um, and, and super glue ourselves to places. And I just sort of think, look, you know, the, the, it's true. We're not moving fast enough. And there are people... There are climate predictions. There are various sort of number crunches that have been through it. And one of the big predictions is that there will be a thousand million, a thousand million refugees in the next 15 years because of climate change. Right. A thousand million. What's likely is Rwanda will have ceased to become a viable destination. For people to be sent to. So I, I like the urgency. I like the fact that they're going, come on, we need to get up off our ass. I like the fact that they're going, no, this is really important. And I don't sit there going, you can't destroy art because they didn't. Yes. Yes, they didn't. They did get a hell of a lot of attention to yeah. get people talking about it. And I guess it's a collective responsibility that we'll ignore to our peril. So the issues, if you want to have issues with them, are the fact that I think they need to. It's no good telling somebody who can't afford to feed their family that they need to worry about the climate because in 10 years something's going to happen. Because actually what you need to say is climate change is going to make you even poorer. But meanwhile, let's try and stop what's going on at the same time. You know, and you need to be able to address the fact that people are in poverty and the fact that there is climate change at the same time. Yes. Yeah. And by minor, minor inconveniences or disruption... Yeah. to daily life is what sort of, yeah. People were really pissed off with suffragettes and suffragists. You know, the most one of my favourite suffragette actions was the Toffee Hammer uh, action, which was on um, Oxford Street or Regent Street, and it was at the blowing of a whistle. All these women produced a hammer. It was at a certain time of day. They blew a whistle, and all the women brought out toffee hammers and smashed the shop windows. Now... You can say that's the most middle-class demonstration ever. Having a <laughs> Tiny <hammer>. little toffee <laughs> hammer. Yes. Hello, darling. Have you got your toffee hammer? Yes, I have. <laughs> Up the revolution, votes for women. Pinkle. You know, but that's, that's, so what? That's the stuff that gets things changed. You know, there were masses of, of, of working class women involved in strikes and struggle and trade union it, it, that helped change things. Um, and yes, it inconvenienced people. Women burnt down cricket pavilions. Do you know what I mean? Through them, died for the cause, threw themselves in front of horses and, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, the thing was she was trying to pin it on a horse. She was trying to pin a suffragette rosette on the horse and they I, practiced it and she was best in practice, but then didn't go well. They were disobedient because they were yeah. like, well, it wasn't there suffragists and suffragettes. And I think yeah. the suffragists were like non-confrontational kind of um weren't they the suffragists yeah. were like and the suffragettes were just peaceful, much more direct peaceful. action yeah yeah they were the peaceful protesters there's room for both i mean that's the whole point about it there yes. is room for, for for both of these approaches um and there is also i guess there is something to be said about like who pays a price or a penalty for that type of action as well i suppose who can who can do stuff like the um you know throwing stuff at the painting and not necessarily go to court i mean i know there are there are judges who are kind of going we sort of back the action but that's why it's important to have both i think they are yeah, i mean they are all going to court they are all gonna i know some of the people involved in that action and they have been jailed already they've been put on remand 
Right, right. And I do think as well, there are certain people who, if they know the right people and lawyers and they've got money, know how to kind of maneuver around that. But that that type of action, I suppose, is not necessarily for everyone, which is why, like you say, it's important to have both. If you are wanting to do a peaceful protest or march or have your voice heard that way, that you're able yeah. to. Yeah, I think you're right. So yeah. there we are. We've, we've solved it, Tiff. We've solved it. Bit of both. Little bit of both. Politics. <laughs> Pick a mix. It's <laughs> ambidextrous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is the section of the podcast we call Oryx or historic beef. Oryx being a prehistoric form of cattle. So that was what we went with at the beginning when we were trying to be highfalutin. And now we're just like, oh, some people who had a row in the past. Um, and so old this barnies. old barnies old rucks old ructions <laughs> <laughs> and um i sometimes bring to the plate and sometimes the guests suggest and you have suggested cavaliers versus roundheads so it's like good hair versus hipster hair in my mind but what i did do when i was away reading about this because i remember learning about oliver cromwell in school but then i think more recently kind of going yeah, he did some really bad stuff in Ireland. So, like, in the beginning, the idea that Cromwell had, which was to abolish the monarchy, started out as being a good thing, but then he became himself a dictator. So tell me tell me about tell me about it, Mark. Right. It, it's, it's of no surprise that I'm not a monarchist uh, or indeed the, the a defender of feudalism uh, upon which it's based. But... I think Cromwell Cromwell was an absolute head case, uh, without a shadow of a doubt. You know, he tried to ban Christmas. Oh, I didn't know that. He did try and ban Christmas. He basically put out edicts that said uh, he didn't want drunkenness. He did. We used to have twelve days of Christmas, right? And what do we have now? Two. Who took the other? Who took the the Tories? Anyway, the <laughs> thing is, we used to have twelve. There's days no of geese are laying, and yeah. swans are yeah. swimming anymore. There's not. We used to have 12 days and and actually these 12 days were all celebrating and it was all about parties and communities and rowdiness, the shop shut. And, you know, it was kind of like you decorate the place. Cromwell said no decorations, everyone to go to work, shops, no Christmas. Right. Because he believed it was it was idolatry. And um, what happened was in in. London, Westminster, the, the church that actually decked its halls with laurel and holly in defiance of Cromwell in Kent. They went out and celebrated and were just like in London. There were riots in Kent, by the way, in London. Um, they, uh, the, the apprentices went around forcing shops to shut and saying, no, you've got to shut the shops. It's Christmas. We're having the time off. Um, and in Norwich, the mayor who was actually a supporter of Cromwell realized he couldn't stop Christmas from coming. This is so Grinch. It's brilliant. <laughs> no one stops Christmas from coming. And, um, I knew a guy called Chris Moss and that takes on a whole different meaning, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, it does. I'm sure it does. But the thing is, right. He, um, the, in Norwich, what happened was they, they had the Christmas and Cromwell sent up people to get the mayor to bring him back to answer before parliament and um, a loads of people said, no, we're not going to allow it to happen. And they, the populace got out and defended the mayor. So the people go back to Parliament and say, this is what they've done. Cromwell set up the army. They had a riot for three days, which resulted in the armory exploding and people dying over Christmas because Cromwell didn't want it to happen. 
And it was about people having fun and taking time off. And he didn't want fun. Cromwell was anti. You know, it was about, you know, it was about that, that Protestant work ethic and that kind of lack misery. Of, yeah, it was misery. That's, that's, well, you know that a lot of the standing stones that you see, a lot of standing stones and stone circles, are named were named during that time, like the Merry Maidens or the Pipers. You know, these were people who turned to stone for dancing on a holy day. Do you know what I mean? Wow. Part of that Cromwell thing. So, but so Cromwell first of all banned Christmas. Then you got the fact that Ireland he did, which is just like, mate, you've really fucked up. Right. In all sorts of ways. And actually, you know, I mean, in a way, it's kind of like, you know, this is just like this was the adventurism. Britain's first colony uh, that Cromwell um, seeks to exploit and, and, and enforce his will. So that was like 1649, 1650, right? So they, yeah. like, he'd killed like a third of like Irish people or something. Yes. Like I mean, in it's, terms it's, of massacre. It's, it's taken land, taken yeah. the land, which is the feudalism part of it, right? Yeah. Estate but, agents can be like modern modern day barons, basically. Uh, yeah, he was, in fact, more than that, more than that, because he was, I think it was in 1647, I might be wrong. There was a debate. And the debate happened in Putney. It's the Putney debates. And it was a debate that took place between the first example of elected representatives coming from those who had empowered them, giving them an agenda and a manifesto to speak on, which were the levellers. And the levellers were coming from the army, from the new model army. And what they were fighting for was universal suffrage. They were fighting for one person, one vote. They were actually fighting for for um, religious freedom, that you could have any, you could worship whoever. And they wanted a rule of law that wasn't about the king chucking you in jail. Well, because that was the bizarre thing that Cromwell did, is, is that he sort of went, we'll have religious freedom for some groups like Jewish people but not for others, and then persecuted Catholics. Yeah. Yeah. And actually what was interesting as well was the fact that you'd have religious groups like the Diggers who um, actually declared that the land belonged to everybody uh, and everyone should share it. And so they and, and they were highly religious and they used to build communes. There used to be one in St. George's Hill, which is now Wentworth Golf Course, where they held Chilean dictator, Mr. Pinochet. And um, they used to have at St. George's Hill... Um, it's 1649, St. George's Hill, a ragged band they called the Diggers came to show the people's will. And they they, they would have these um, communes and, and grow stuff for, for communal uh, food and sharing and actually creating. So, so he hated that. They weren't going to happen. But the levellers, they had the Putney debates and the Putney debates were against Cromwell and his son-in-law and... Um, and about the levellers. And the levellers had been elected and chosen from the ranks of the army. And they had this debate in St. Mary's Church. The debates were about who should get a right to vote and also that the army should get paid, right? And Cromwell argued that only people with land had an interest and a connection to protecting the land and therefore, only people with land should get the vote. Cromwell was not a Democrat in any way, shape or form. He was a brutalist dictator, a tyrant, and uh, he, he was a, a, a bigot. That's what he was. He was a vile, violent bigot. And 
what happened was the um they kind of they, they kind of went all right yeah we'll do some of this we'll do some of this because the levelers were basically saying that one person has got the much right as any other person so everyone should have a right in choosing parliament no one can be governed unless they actually give their consent to be governed for me it's not it's, it's not you know roundheads and cavaliers it's the vast majority of the populace trying to claim some kind of control over their life autonomy yeah, yeah. and this and, and just get you know just say look we want to be treated fairly under the law we want to get paid we actually want a chance to choose they were going to have biannual elections um that that's what they wanted for parliament and it was a cause that actually the chartists then took up later on and so the levelers morphed into the chart historically the levelers sort of moved or or the the demands moved from levelers into charters but for me it was the levelers and the diggers and people like that they represent the radical side rather than the roundheads the beginnings of the uh of the radical side of yeah yeah i don't know whether it was like 1955 what happened to the levelers because i know that cromwell dissolved parliament at one yeah. point yeah, yeah yeah and then installed himself as like a de facto dictator so that which seems wild to kind of go we can't have this monarchy ordained by god through religion to lead us but we can have me because i've decided <laughs> yeah i mean it's i mean in some ways i think Cromwell was like the trump in breaches <laughs> i think you should write that book Cromwell trump in breaches <laughs> thank you for for bringing that historic beef i feel like we could probably do an hour on that alone but i do feel like i've got a good potted history from you actually because i've heard of the level as the band but i didn't realize that that's what that came from yeah yeah and they used to have they used to be identified because they used to have pamphlets they were they were big pamphleteers they were one of the first groups of pamphleteers because the printing press is relatively new pre-edinburgh fringe Indeed. These guys, <laughs> these guys were the original leaflers. But also there is a pub in London called the Rosemary Branch and it's near Islington, might even be in Islington, because that's where the, the levellers used to meet and they used to wear branches of sprigs of rosemary in their hat to identify them. I, I think I, their political causes, it would be much nicer if people had sprigs of herbs in their hats. Thank you for joining me on the podcast today, Mark. This has been informative, very funny. Thank you for sharing your grudges. I hope you feel better getting them off your chest. No, I still want to blow up to Bronte. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today. It has been an absolute treat and a pleasure. Uh, before you go, have you got anything you want to plug? Tour shows, new books, anything you want to share, and uh, we'll get the listeners out. There'll be a new show in Edinburgh. Just... Oh, yeah. It'll be good. I'm doing a show at Payne's Plough Roundabout, which is at Summer Hall. Great venue. Which is a lovely venue, which is, I'm doing a play which a mate of mine has written, which is really great. And then um, I'm doing 10 days of stand-up at the stand. Perfect. My show's, I think, at 2 o'clock, and then the stand-up's at 10, so. Lovely. Well, uh, get along to see those, but I think my show will be at 1. I'm on tour uh, in May with my current show, Sexy Brain, so come out, see that. Catch Mark wherever you can. He's always fantastic and a joy to watch. Thank you for joining me today, Mark. Lovely to see you, my darling. You too. You can listen to other programmes from The Bugle, including The Bugle, Catharsis, Tiny Revolutions, 
Top Stories and The Gargle, wherever you find your podcasts. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.